This is the DX Podcast, proudly presented by Wondrous. Hi, I'm Alice Del Foco, and I'm very happy to be here on the DX Podcast. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the second season. Everything is different again. Business as usual, as we like to say here at Wondrous, and sadly, I'm not sitting next to Mirko. Hey, Mirko. Hey, Peter. We're speaking together over video, but I have to say and mention, because we have been adhering to the rules, of course, we recorded this conversation before the second lockdown, which seems like forever ago. When was that, Mirko? Uh, I mean, all I know is that next month is March, and last month was March too. So, uh... <laughs> I, th- I think I think it was in November, uh, right? I was at home with Corona last November. I haven't been in the office since October, so it must have been before November. Anyway, long story short, we had a terrific conversation with Alice a long time ago. Well, it definitely feels that way, at least. And it's definitely high tide that we edit this conversation and make sure it gets out there and that it gets listened to, because it's a very cool conversation, and we hope you all enjoy it at least as much as we did. Okay, um, so this is uh, season two of the Digital Experience podcast, and today we welcome Alice Dal Fuoco. Welcome to the Wondrous Office. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> You're very welcome. Um, as I said, this is the first episode of the second season, Alicia, would you like to quickly um, give us a little bit of uh, an insight of um, where you come from, uh, from a from not just a professional perspective, but also personally? As a personally, where I grew up and well, all yeah. these things. <laughs> kind of give us an idea okay. of, of uh, your, yeah, who you are, exactly. Who I am. Okay, yeah, so as you heard, I'm Alicia. Um, I was born and raised in the beautiful canton of Glarus. And yeah, I started like my career, like the first, my beginning started like as an IT systems engineer. So back in the days I was hanging out with all the nerds during my apprenticeship. (laughs) But then quickly I realized that maybe I'm too creative to just hang out there with all these nerds. So um, I decided to pursue a BA, uh, to, to pursue a bachelor's degree in design management in Lucerne. And so one after the other, I was um, doing a traineeship at Vitra for one and a half years and there at their R&D department. And after I did my master's degree, and yeah, now I ended up working for a Swiss bank. So, hey, that's a career, isn't it? <laughs> um, so you mentioned the nerds. Um, would, you, would you say you, you yourself are a bit of a nerd? Sometimes I am because I still have some kind the 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 way um that if i have a problem i really want to solve it so i really dig so deep that i realize where it comes from and what what is a suitable solution for it so i'm just not like accepting if i have especially if i have some kind of it problem on my computer or if something is not displayed as it should be so i really want to have it i really want to have it as i thought that i wanted to have it as a no (laughs) get to the source of the problem exactly exactly Okay. okay cool um, can I ask how you got into um, the, the engineering part of things? What what kind of took you in that direction? 
Um, I think it was because of my dad, because my dad owned a computer quite early. I think I was about five and or four that he, he already has, um, owned a computer. It's a really big, huge screen and a huge tower underneath the, uh, the table. So he started life with Microsoft DOS. So I also had my first experiences with computers with DOS, but back then I was just gaming. Also, if you can... T- uh, you can even label it as a game, but it was like the first games you, you did like on, on Microsoft DOS. And then I ended up hanging out a lot with them in front of the computer. And then I think the first operating system that I could really that I could really use was, I think, I think it was Windows 3.11, I think 3.11. Yeah, exactly. It was the first operating system. So, and then this whole thing started and then I knew that I want to, to know more about computers, and this was the reason why um, I did the apprenticeship as a IT systems engineer. And that was at um, Pricewaterhouse Coopers, or no? That was a, it, at a company called Nextera One, and this company you, before that was called Alcatel. Yeah, Alcatel oh, okay. e-business distribution. Then yeah. they were sold to another company that was Nextera One, and now it's Sunrise. Okay. Yeah, so now Sunrise took over the company. Yeah, that was fun times. <laughs> But from then, from there, you went to PwC. From there, I went to PwC. But there, again, in the IT, and then I started to realize, okay, I have to do this shift. Um, this, I don't want to be just like an IT person, no matter what. Even a manager, it's just not like it. It, it didn't suit me. Even though it was still, there are still some topics that interest me. But but overall, yeah, I didn't see myself there until I'm sixty-four. <laughs> <five>. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned that you went on to the R&D uh, department at Vitra. Um, was that your f- your first kind of touch point with innovation uh, uh, as in a product development kind yes, of Yes, yes, the first one and even the first experience in design because when I went to design university in Lucerne, I was, I was coming from a technical direction. All my other classmates usually came from a creative background and I was one of, and one of my friends who also was asked was an IT systems engineer. We were the only ones coming from this technical background. So, and also at Vitra, it was my first job in the R&D innovation design area because before it was just like working yeah, in IT. So it was the first time really taking all the things I learned at university and really um, use them in my, in my daily work. Cool. That's really interesting how you kind of made that switch from tech to, to R&D and innovation. Does it help when you? I'm I'm imagining you still have like lots of contact with nerds and people from the IT department. Does it does it help that you can like speak on on their same level and like speak their language, so to speak? It helps sometimes, especially in my team, because my team in the beginning they didn't realize that I'm coming from this technical background. So if people are talking about some ID IT stuff like programming languages or how specific servers or platform have to be built, so some kind of knowledge I'm still some are having. But it helped me because now I'm in the group in the practice in the, some kind of community of practice for our cybersecurity responsible uh, people, and so and now I'm taking part of that from an innovation perspective. And now, fortunately, due to my background, I don't feel like the odd one out, even though I'm the only woman in the in this in this community. Yeah, because usually all, all this cybersecurity security stuff is usually yeah, very man dominated, and it helps me a lot to still have like this. And to understand how people behave, how people think. And I know that there are 
social skills are a bit different or their way <laughs> to socially interact. No, I don't want to say that they have no social skills, they just have different social skills and maybe I still or hopefully I still know how to how to um, use that or how to work work with them. Yeah, and by the way, um, I'm, I'm a self-identified nerd, so we're not punching down here. We're just uh, <laughs> speaking about nerds. <laughs> so um, you were then, you went through the, the whole kind of, uh, you did a bachelor in... In design management. Design it's some kind of product right. design, okay. and it's like a mix between product design and business and economics. And that was at the University in Lucerne? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and now, you actually yourself, you're in a lecturer um, at the Zetatica, yes. right? Yes, because after that, uh, after the time at Vitro, I uh, went to Zetatica to do the master's in design. And, and during this master course, um, I realized that I really find some, um, yeah, some fun in lecturing. So I had the possibility to lecture like the BA students in a week, um, as of like for, um, um, for a week in strategic design. And then uh, I started lecturing every year for the CAS in design methods. So I do like a trend research and strategic foresight lecture. And, and this year I even get additional lectures. So I think it's even more and more. And I really enjoy that besides okay. working and having just like this, just like this office things around my head that I can even um, dive into, into these topics and, and stand in front of a class and have discussions and meet lots of new people. Could you explain what, what you understand under strategic design? Under strategic design, yeah. it's like the, the unfortunate thing about design is that it's always pursued as just like the aesthetic part of it. So people um, rea think of design as are you the one coming in at the end of the project to make it a bit nice? You know, you do the finishing, that it looks glossy and cool. And I think, and strategic design, also like this, this word um, construction shows that design can be a very, um, how do you say, could be a very influential tool for strategic decisions. So if you use design as a process, as if you use it and apply it in your day-to-day -day work, especially in product development, that you use like all these kinds of tools, you, you, get, you get then in a new thinking because you connect like strategic thinking, economic thinking with design. So this is some, some for me, this is what strategic design means for me, that you, that you use it as a, as a differentiator, as an asset in your way of tackling problems in the way how to, how to create new experiences, new services. I'm really glad I asked that question. So <laughs> it's interesting to get the, you know, the uh, different perspectives of what, what design actually means. Um, and that's uh, that was a um, a really uh, a nice way of putting um, what um, you know, the the perception oftentimes, as you mentioned, is is actually just the the beautifying part, mm -hmm. but not the strategic part, which has an, an an immense roles nowadays. And it's a bit sad because the word is usually misused. Because I even realized, as a, you, you, my parents, for example, when I decided to pursue like this. BA program in design management as my dad just got crazy because he was like yeah but then what do you do after your studies do you go and sell your paintings at Bahnhofstrasse and I'm <laughs> like yeah, no no you know design is not is not the same as painting is not the same as arts and I think some people still don't understand the difference and and the worst thing, the worst of all, is that they use design as the word and put it in front of everything for example des uh, design furniture design kitchen designer uh, like apparel so design 
the word is misused in many different contexts and this makes it very hard as a designer, especially if you go, if you have a job, for example, in a bank or in a business, um, like in a, in a normal, I don't know, if I will go and work, I don't know, for an insurance company and I say, man, I'm a designer. Maybe nowadays they understand this design as a strategic asset and they know what design means with user experience design, interaction design and and design thinking and all these words. Now they started to understand, but I think seven years ago when I started applying for jobs after after university, it was like, yeah, but but you're a designer, what do you want to do? You know, just do slides and yeah. Again. Well, exactly, yeah. And now I think there's this there's this huge skill shift happening and then people start to understand that this is a really a great asset, what you learn at Design University, and even as a designer, as the whole mindset and the whole way you work and you think and how you tackle problems is very unique. And now the business people want to take have this mindset too. So It's the designer's mindset, exactly. Um, so you went on to um, then work for PostFinance, as you mentioned before, uh, for a Swiss bank. Um, how did that come about? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, but it was just like, because uh, if somebody had asked myself like three years ago, hey, because uh, three years ago, I just graduated from uh, from uh, Zurich University of the Arts. So um, then when they would have asked me, hey, where do, where do you want to go? Where do you want to head to? I was like, I want to work for some fancy design uh, agency as a consultant. I see myself really in this creative um, environment. But then somehow I saw this job, um, um, on the website and then I was like yeah PostFinance and the job is even in Bern mm, I don't know and then I applied and then I traveled to Bern and then I realized oh my god it's really far from Zurich <laughs> and hey but then I really have to say the people the environment hey some something really 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 not persuaded me but something really made me like think hey this could be really a place where I could just like design my own job and really and really bring skills into this team that nobody's having. So the first time I will have the situation that I will be the one bringing something in a team that the people don't have. So like this team model shaped person, like with this broad knowledge of IT design and innovation, but then having like the the, the in depth experience, like for 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 the for the aesthetics, for design, and also as a tool for communication and and so on. And so. So I started. So then I um, got got the job. I was super happy and started there. And I really had like the time of my life since I started there because like the pa the past two and a half years were just like a roller coaster of exceptional experiences. I think uh, I can understand why it's uh, a lot of fun. You spent like two months in in Silicon Valley, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That was before the fires and, and COVID, of course. Yes, it was before COVID, before the fires. Yeah, it was one and a half years ago where uh, I had the possibility to go to San Francisco with two colleagues from Swiss Mobiliar, also from the insurance company, and a colleague from Swiss Post. So we're the four of us who went there and um, spent two months researching on the future of data. So we had like... Lots of lots of meetings with startups, universities, other corporates, and sounds amazing. And the way that you explain it, I think people in Switzerland would be like, "Oh, that sounds like the most boring trip ever." Four people <laughs> from uh, an insurance and a, and a bank with a Swiss in front of it. As, mm, um, but uh, no, it sounds like you, uh, and also the results from from your trip, um, which was how we got in touch. I think you wrote a paper. 
um, on big data. We um, somehow uh, put our insights all together into this paper called Future of Data. There you go. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, because this was important because usually people are sent to these scouting trips and then they come back, have some meetings and presentations and then, yeah, then it's done. But for me, as a, we, oh, not only for me, for the entire team, it was important that all these, all these insights are put together in a paper that you have some kind of artifact you can... You can say, hey, last year we were there. This was the outcome of the trip. And and it was very awesome because we could share it with all the people that we met on our journey there. So we met except really so many interesting people. I even had the possibility to meet people from IDEO, which was just like amazing to, to talk to people that are are so forward thinking. And for me, they, they lift they lift this whole human centric design mindset. And for yeah, it was just like amazing. Mm. We spend a lot of time talking about that here as well, the the, the human centered design part of things. And we're um, starting to heavily invest also in, in the UX um, kind of uh, sector as well, um, building that out. So could, because we truly believe that that will help our, our customers' um, products become something that they can actually um, use at the end of the day. Um, cool. Two months in San Francisco, and then you came back um, with all of these uh, this inspiration, I guess. Um, and you then packed it into this paper, um, the outcome of this trip. Um, do you kind of feel the, uh, the results from this trip still... Um, in a way, in your everyday work, or do you do you feel like um, it, it's kind of fizzed out? Um, it, yeah, it depends. So first, somehow, it's still part of my everyday job because I think data, data as a topic and as a topic that you really have to, you really have to focus on because otherwise you will just lose the game. Uh, not not really the game, but. I think all the companies who forget to have uh, a, um, a data strategy and to really think of what they want to do with their data are lost some once once on the in, in the next couple of years. So for me, was this these insights were important as a as a as a basic knowledge to to know more about this topic, to be more able to talk, for example, to data scientists and to decision makers within the company. Um, but but it's not like that I'm always pointing back to this paper and to this insights. It's just like, okay, this was last year and this yeah. year is another year, but I'm still I'm still um, really interested in doing proof of concept with startups in that area to experiment in this kind of area. How, what can we do with our data? Can we find models to monetize? Can we find ways to to um, export the data into a cloud and to make it accessible to specific companies, also to anonymize and make it accessible or whatever. So just like thinking about what kind of new services or business models could, could evolve if you start designing with your data or, or use the data as a new raw material to design with. And so you brought back all of these experiences from San Francisco. Is there anything you kind of feel like Switzerland's, is not always the most forward-thinking country, um, but it is um, under the. It has been under the top five of most innovative countries um, on the planet for quite a while now. Can you explain that? It doesn't seem like the kind of place where you know startups would would gather like they would in in San Francisco. There's there's not um, tons of, of venture capital in Switzerland. Um, can you explain um, why you think this might be? 
yeah, maybe I think I think the mentality has a lot to do with it because they have such a can-do mindset as we can do it, we try it and we don't care if we fail. And in Switzerland, you're so afraid to fail. And I think because in, in Switzerland, I think the average entrepreneur is in, in his or in her mid-40s, beginning or mid-40s. Really? The average entrepreneur in Switzerland. An average entrepreneur in the US is like, I don't know, 22 20s, yeah. or 23. Okay. But it's just like that we are afraid we have something in ourselves. But And I can imagine, I, so I think Switzerland, because of this innovation index, where we're usually on the top five or even on the first, as a rank mm-hmm. first um, for a couple of years in a row, it's like that we have like innovation more in the met biotech, med tech, or in the high tech area where we do where, where Switzerland is really like a leading country, but less but less in the business side of things. But on the other hand, for example, in the crypto in the crypto world, we are again number one. So we are the first ones as we had like the first bank getting a banking license, as like the first crypto bank receiving a banking license from the Finma. And um, this was the first, yeah, worldwide. And the way we are um, using block the blockchain technology as a as as a way as a new way to develop the financial market. So I think this is something else where we are forward thinking. I think we are, but we are in the way we do business. We are still very old school. So we are the ones with a calendar filled from seven to five. There is no room for st- spontaneous encounters because I realized when I was in, in San Francisco, it's like my calendar on, on Sunday evening, the calendar was almost empty for the week. But then during the week, all these meetings came up pretty right. spontaneously. And even with people, for example, with the chief data officer from LinkedIn, okay. where we had like a meeting for two hours. So just like spontaneously, hey, yeah, come over. Uh, Friday, so I'm like, okay, so we come over <laughs> Friday. So everything happens quite spontaneous and really fast, and everybody replies very fast. In Switzerland, sometimes you have to wait a week until somebody replies to your emails. I really am also some kind of the person who's ghosting sometimes, but not because I want to. Sometimes I'm just like not the 24-7 worker, and mm. most people, there re- they work a lot. So they're really always on the, how do you say, on the on the fast lane. Yeah. And, and they are more efficient because if you write emails in switzerland you're like oh how are you i'm doing fine how are you what That's do you so want nice, what do yeah. you want yeah too <laughs> nice and always like this back and forth back and forth and there you're like you write an email to someone you haven't met yet and you write and say hey um i'm this person i'm i'm researching this kind of topic do you have time for a meeting if yes these are the slots bam and then this person replies perfect let's meet then and there so and then the meeting is all set within two emails and here and then I took this attitude as of this way. Um, I applied this also in my everyday now. Also since one, as it's more than a year, I'm the one. If somebody texts me or even on LinkedIn, hey, they're interesting in having an exchange with me. Some, then I reply yes, and these are the three slots you get. So choose one. Perfect. And then we meet there, and it's just like, and then you're much faster because you realize that you don't have to go back and forth all the time. You can do that when you meet if you want to, but not while you want to arrange or set up these meetings. So there are a couple of mindsets that we could uh, adapt in Switzerland as well. For sure, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, and so your your everyday um, uh, you know, kind of professional life, you you um, you deal a lot with um, entrepreneurs and um, startups. Um, is that something that that you find uh, really uh, exciting as well? Extremely extra, <laughs> extremely exciting, because for me it's like to have to work with people who take the risk and pursuing their their vision and their dreams, 
by by build by forming a company that or by forming this startup that can become a huge company and can and, and can um, create so many new um, jobs within Switzerland. I think this is just like I admire I admire those people. So I really like the way how they are and how fast the collaboration works. So you just you know even you communicate via WhatsApp or Slack and it's just like uncomplicated and easy. And it doesn't matter how you're dressed. So even if you wear sneakers or whatever, nobody care, or an Iron Maiden T-shirt or nobody cares. You know, it's just like well, you that care kind of about sounds the like the, the mindset that you were talking about from from Silicon Valley as well. Um, exactly. The the entrepreneurs in Switzerland seem to carry that uh, within themselves, even though they're mid forty. <laughs> even though they're mid, but they're they're also the ones. But it's just like the average are also the ones that are younger. But it's just like like the uh, from a study from a study thing from. Uh, IFJ from this institute for young entrepreneurs. They said like that the average, yeah, it's like. You mentioned before um, the disbalance between genders. Um, is that something um, you feel makes it easier for you, or um, more difficult, or how do you how do you cope with with the disbalance? Good, I'm used to a disbalance because since. From I from the IT course, background, yeah. I I'm I'm used to sometimes being the only woman in a in a on a at a table in a meeting with I don't know ten ten men. So I don't have problems that I don't get the respect that I deserve because as I never had this. Good maybe when I was younger, sometimes I had to fight for for getting the respect. But I think nowadays, fortunately, I meet people that are like minded and respect every human being, no matter what kind of gender. Um, and so I don't have these these problems. But you realize. When you are at these pitching um, days, or then you have the startups, or the startups applying for a program, because we are a partner of Kickstart, of this um, startup accelerator in Zurich, and when we do the selection process, yeah, you see like from 120 startups, when you check, is there any startup with a, a female co-founder, especially in the fintech area, and then you have like, I don't know, not even 1%, oh and God. this is really bad, but it's like the financial... I think there are other areas where there are more female co- uh, uh, founders, but I think fintech is still is still like an area which which is very uh, male dominated. Yes. Obviously, a shame. Is there anything that you think we can do about that, or is it just time? It's time, and I think back, but maybe this is just like an assumption I came up with. Of like, I, I like this was like some some kind of answer. I I say my as I tell myself is that. Since the financial system and banks and everything has been designed back in the days or created by men, for men, I think it's hard for women, as there are many women uh, working for banks, but I think it it has been harder for women to get into these topics because these topics have been made by men, for men. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's, but now you realize the more financial products coming up and being designed, and you realize how they're designed, that they're really genderlessly designed and really, uh, how do you say, they're really like, the, the whole experience is very unobtrusive. It's, um, yeah, it makes it much more easier and nicer to to onboard to these kinds of services. And then you realize, okay, but all these financial products back in this were just like badly designed. They're really just designed that not even, usually not even men understand why, why this is like that. And... And I guess it is an opportunity. I think a huge opportunity comes up there to design products that are more, yeah, to design like this digital experience around these financial products that it, that is that is really more um, 
why do I kind of come up with this word that I'm looking for? Not need, it's just like um, the flow, you know, like if you use them, you just have like this nice experience like that it's just like working and not like, okay, why is this button there? And what does this mean? What does this mean? So just like at the empathy part. Okay, cool. Um, we've spoken about your like professional life. Is there, is there anything in your, in your personal life you feel um, helps you in your professional life, like your hobbies or like how do you get away from things or how do you gather inspiration? I get my inspiration because I read a lot. So I think reading reading is something that relaxes me. So I have I have a, a huge bookshelf at home, and really reading is really the, the thing that that relaxes me. And then um, especially magazines. I saw that you also have a couple of magazines that I'm really into, like <laughs> the Harvard Business Review or the MIT Technology Review. That's really good to get like all these new insights and new signals and, and new ideas. And I also love like the futurism newsletter every day and some other newsletters from the CEO of CB Insights and the other guy, the one who, who created the um, world catalog. Now, what, what's the name? The world, the, the world catalog. Oh, the one also Stephen Jobs mentioned that he was reading when he was a ki kid. Ah, what's the name? I have no idea. Yeah, the Great World Catalog. Yeah, but this I have one at home. I, I bought one secondhand from Amazon. But the, the former CEO, the creator of this catalog, always sends also a weekly newsletter, which is so interesting. So this is also like a base of my inspiration. Okay, once we found that out, we'll yeah, add the, to the description. Ah, the Whole Earth Catalog, it's <laughs> called. The Whole Earth Catalog. <laughs> now we can. It's like a huge black catalog, but it, it's not in production anymore. And back in, and even Steve Jobs said that he got the inspiration from this catalog. So I ordered once one, but I think one from the 80s or so I ordered one. And and the former CEO, the newsletter of, of him is super great. So Okay, so that's where you get your inspiration Benedict from. Evans, so it's his name. So this is a good uh, source of inspiration, exactly. And otherwise, I like to, to be out with friends. I like, unfortunately, at the moment, it's a bit more difficult, but I always love to go to uh, concerts, like music and arts exhibitions, so mm. all, all kind of things to get like a new new way of how to see things. Or Zurich's a good place to do that, has to be said. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it, or it used to be. Now it's just like a bit different. <laughs> Things things are different. Um, hey, thank you so much for for coming by and and talking to us and giving us some insights on on uh, on your career thus far. And best of luck on uh, the way forward. Thanks. Same to you. <laughs> Thanks. We have reached the end of this digital experience podcast. Thanks for listening. For further information about us please head over to weirwondrous.com.